Welcome back to the Liberty Update. Before we hop into today's need-to-know news, we want to inform you of a special edition of COS at Home, celebrating 10 years of Convention of States. The webinar is this Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and will feature the founders of Convention of States, Mark Meckler and Michael Ferris. As a reminder, you can keep up with all things COS on our website, including this upcoming webinar. Just go to conventionofstates.com news to read the latest and to register. In today's episode, we'll start by going over the simulated Article 5 convention and the six amendment proposals that commissioners passed on the final day. On the new side of things, we will fill you in on an Iowa school that has flagged nearly 400 books for sexual content, and we'll also share some statistics with you on state lands that the federal government owns and manages and prohibits states from utilizing. All that coming up today. Last week's show dropped on the final day of the Article 5 simulated convention hosted by Convention of States Foundation. And as we presented last week, commissioners, over 100 commissioners representing 49 states, were actively considering proposed amendments that had passed out of committee on the previous day. In the end, a grand total of six amendments passed out of convention, which in real life would then go back to three-fourths of the states for ratification. Today, Brianna and I will unpack those six amendments, starting with the amendment that came out of the Term Limits Committee, which states, quote, No person shall be elected to serve in the House of Representatives more than nine full terms, nor elected or appointed to serve in the Senate more than three full terms. This article shall not disqualify any person from completing a term in the Congress to which that person was elected or appointed prior to ratification of this article. No person shall serve in Congress for more than 24 years in total. So a pretty straightforward term limits amendment. However, this one was debated quite a bit. And a lot of people have argued that it isn't strong enough. A lot of people really wanted to see term limits on federal bureaucrats. One of the things that's interesting about Convention of States Foundation's resolution is that it's not confined to term limiting only elected officials, but it can also term limit non-elected federal officials as well. Mark Meckler, for example, said that he wished that this amendment was stronger. However, as Ferris pointed out, he presumes an actual convention would last up to six months. Commissioners only had three days at this simulation, therefore Ferris predicts that in an actual convention, they would have more time to address term limits for federal bureaucrats. The second proposed amendment, which also came from the Federal Term Limits and Judicial Jurisdiction, states in Section 1 that the Supreme Court of the United States shall consist of nine judges, any six of whom shall constitute a quorum. Section 2 goes on to say, Each of the several states shall have standing to bring an action challenging the constitutionality of any action of the executive branch or any enactment of Congress. So to unpack this one, currently the Constitution does not confine the Supreme Court to only nine justices. This is why there's been a lot of debate about packing the court, adding more justices. So this amendment would limit the court to the current number of only nine justices. The second section allows individual states to sue the federal government over alleged violations of the Constitution. Michael Ferris in particular praised this part of the amendment, noting that currently it's extremely hard for states to sue specifically over federal spending. This 
amendment would allow them to do that. However, as Rick Santorum pointed out, these two provisions ideally should have been separated into separate amendments rather than being confined into one when the ideas are rather unrelated. The third past proposal, which came from the Committee on Fiscal Restraints, states, Congress shall adopt a preliminary fiscal year budget no later than the first Monday in May for the following fiscal year and submit said budget to the president for consideration. Federal expenditures for each fiscal year shall not exceed average annual revenue collected in the prior three fiscal years. Total expenditures shall include all expenditures of the United States, including those for payments of interests on debts. Total revenue shall include all revenue of the United States except that derived from borrowing. Any surplus of revenue over expenditures in any fiscal year shall be applied to outstanding federal debts. Section 2 goes on to state that Congress, whenever two-thirds of both houses of Congress by roll call vote deem it necessary, may exceed the spending limit in Section 1 for one fiscal year by borrowing as provided for in the second clause of the eighth section of Article 1 of this Constitution. Section 3 says that taxes levied under the 8th section of Article 1 of this Constitution shall not be raised to increase the revenue of the United States unless two-thirds of both houses of Congress by roll call votes concur. Going on to Section 4, we read that nothing in this amendment shall be construed to allow for an increase in taxes without the express approval of Congress. And finally, in Section 5, this amendment will become effective three years after ratification. Overall, Mark Meckler, Michael Ferris, and Senator Rick Santorum praised these three amendments and know that the grassroots would be excited to see these amendments pass out of a real convention. And now I'll pass it on to Bree to unpack the last three amendments. Moving on to the final committee at the simulation, which is the Federal Legislative and Executive Jurisdiction Committee. Commissioners on this committee agreed on three proposals, which they brought to the full assembly on Friday afternoon. All three of the proposals brought by this committee passed on the floor after some serious debate and deliberation and some amendments that were added to the language. In the first proposal, they sought to redefine the Commerce Clause. The text reads, Commerce among the states shall mean buying, selling, or transportation of commercial goods and services across state lines. The text goes on to say, Congress shall not delegate any rulemaking function related to commerce among the states to any executive official or agency. For background on this proposal, the simple understanding of the Commerce Clause stood as it was written for 150 years, but in the Depression years in the 1930s, the Supreme Court decided to change the interpretation of the word commerce. The new interpretation twisted the meaning of the word to mean anything that affected economic activity in any of the states. And this was a far cry from the original intent of our founders, which is why commissioners decided to address this topic in their proposal. The second proposal would allow a simple majority of the states to rescind actions by Congress, the president, or administrative agencies. The text reads, such abrogation shall be effective when a simple majority of the legislatures of the states declare the same provision or provisions of federal law to be abrogated. The commissioners added that the state executive and judicial branches shall have no authority or involvement in this process. 
The third and final proposal of the simulation forbids the federal government from owning, regulating, or controlling land or minerals, except when granted permission by a state's legislature. Shockingly, the federal government owns 28% of America's land, which includes trillions of dollars in mineral rights, something Western states are not happy about. In just a few minutes, we will dive deeper into this topic. For our last story of the day, I want to cover a shocking report from Iowa that nearly 400 books in Iowa's Urbandale Community School District have been flagged for possibly violating a new state law that prohibits sexual content in K-12 school libraries. For those who say that such content doesn't appear in our schools, just consider that number. 400 books in a single district have been set aside, have been flagged for review in violation of this law. The bill, which went into effect in July, prohibits schools from purchasing books that depict sex acts and require that they remove existing books from their catalogs. Additionally, schools must list educational materials online, allow parents to file complaints against objectionable material, and inform parents if their child has changed genders. Schools also cannot teach about sexual orientation and gender identity. In accordance with these laws, 374 books have been set aside for further review. Flagged titles include Gender Queer, The Hips on the Drag Queen Go Swish, 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 and Lawn Boy. To learn more about these books, to review the shocking content contained within them, you can read the full report on conventionofstates.com. I just want to note that the same political movement that favors militant censorship when it comes to misinformation on social media, or even editing classics such as Charlie and the Chocolate Factory after the author's death for not being woke enough, apparently. That same movement also supports these kinds of books with borderline pornographic content in the hands of minors. They become suddenly very persnickety about free speech and ending censorship when it comes to this kind of content in your school library. Thankfully, dozens of states, including Iowa, are pushing back against this insanity, proving once again the gaping divide between most everyday Americans' values and the federal government's far-left woke agenda. It's also a testimony to the power that parents and states have to resist this insanity, to resist the ideology, and protect their kids. On to the final story of the day, which surrounds the final proposal passed at last week's simulated convention. Life, liberty, and property are three fundamental rights deeply tied together. If one is seized, the other two are automatically restricted as well, leading to enslavement. Lands, thought to be controlled by the states, however, have long been discreetly controlled by the federal government. An estimated 640 million acres, or 28% of America's land, is owned and managed by the federal government, not the states. And this is according to a congressional research report. State sovereignty doesn't exist in most of the Western United States. In Nevada, for example, 80.1% of the land is owned and managed by the federal government. 
and more than half of the land in Utah, Idaho, Alaska, and Oregon is federally owned as well. Federally owned means that the land is managed by five agencies. The Bureau of Land Management, the Fish and Wildlife Service, the National Park Service, the Forest Service, and the Department of Defense. Utah Representative Ken Ivory brought this topic up in his committee's conversations at the simulated Article 5 convention last week, and he said in front of the entire assembly, we can see the Republic is not operating harmoniously because whenever they want something in Washington, they can simply hold the Western states hostage and they know they've got the votes. He said, that's not how our Republic is supposed to function. Not only is political power held in controlling Western states' property, but the government also locks in mineral rights, which are valuable assets found deep beneath the soil. Wyoming's land, in which the government owns over 97,000 square miles, harbors rich natural resources such as coal, oil, and natural gas. But the state is barred from accessing its own resources as a result of federal overreach. A study from the Institute of Energy Research found that the government owns approximately $128 trillion in oil and natural gas, four times the national debt. The study estimates that the government's coal resources in the lower 48 states are worth $22.5 trillion, making the government's combined fossil fuel wealth over $150 trillion. The federal government offers payment in lieu of property taxes, PILT, but Representative Ivory said that the people out west call it pennies in lieu of trillions. You can view the map of federally owned lands on the COS blog. That's all the news for today. We're so grateful that you guys would join us and also super excited to celebrate 10 years of Convention of States grassroots activism. We're super grateful for all of you who made that possible, who make it possible every day by being there out in your states, fighting for liberty, fighting for self-governance, and pushing to call history's first ever Article 5 Convention of States. God bless you guys. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you next week for another episode of the Liberty Update. Thank you.